0: On the society side of things, we're basically looking to have changes for ADHDers that we can get help in schools, accessibility options recognized, and and not have to fight so hard for these things.
1: Welcome to the ADHD Essentials Podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm an ADHD professional who has been working in the field for 10 years. I'm on the Organizing Committee for the International Conference on ADHD and a board member of the Men's ADHD Support Group. Registration for the Winter 2024 session of the ADHD Essentials Parenting Groups closes on Saturday, February 10th. Over the past five years, I've helped hundreds of parents address the challenges they faced as a result of ADHD and anxiety. These groups are proven to improve the cooperation and relationships between you and your kid. We do that with ADHD-friendly strategies that improve communication, support independence, and reduce overall anxiety in the home. We're going to help you be less of a boss and more of a leader when it comes to your kid. Here's past attendee Troy sharing some of his experience. I actually woke up thinking about this, and and I just have to say that... Um, I think that the, the the feel and the air and, and the, just the whole vibe in our house has changed. Every time we finish one of these sessions, it's almost like I feel closer to my kid. Wow, um, yeah, yeah, he's not even uh, there. Right. And I mean yeah I think yeah, and it's like I always want just want to go and, and, and hug him after we finish these sessions. You have given me permission. Um, Just chill out a little bit with being uh, being a parent um, and just give him space. Just be a little bit more accepting.
0: I really enjoy these sessions, and I get a lot out of them for sure.
1: This round begins on the 12th. We'll meet for one hour, twice a week, for eight weeks. The groups meet on Mondays and Wednesdays. One section is at 12 p.m. Eastern, and the other is at 5 p.m. Eastern. The 12 p.m. Eastern section is exclusive to parents of teens but the 5 p.m. section is open to all parents. Check out the link in the show notes for more information about these groups, or email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com to set up a free information call. In today's episode, we talk to Mark Smeets. Mark is a neurodiversity advocate and the host of We Are the ADHD Family. Mark tells us about his family's experience with ADHD. We discuss the journey he took to get his son's ADHD and autism diagnosis, how that led to his and his wife's ADHD diagnoses, generational trauma, mental health advocacy work, and being okay with where you are. All right, let's get rolling.
0: My name is Mark Smeets. I'm an advocate. I'm a parent of two pretty awesome kids. I am an adhd and I am passionate about removing barriers for others through creating strength-based connections and problem solving. I'm on the board of the ADHD Advocacy Society of BC, BC being British Columbia because I'm in Canada, and we're advocating for change within our province of, of certain things um, that are ADHD because there is no support for ADHD. <laughs> And um, I've also got my own podcast, Uh, We Are the ADHD Family, and that's our family's journey with ADHD, autism, and basically every other discoveries along the way. What we go through as a family, but it's also like a lot of the advocacy adventures that I've been on this past year and a bit now.
1: And your road to this work and to understanding of ADHD came as a result of your son's diagnosis. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
0: So our son's going to be 10 in January. So he's nine. So nine years ago, my wife and I knew absolutely nothing about ADHD or autism and and most of it, quite honestly, I don't think that's unusual. And for me to sit there and say, well, you must know something. Yeah. But now when I look back at it as go, I was clueless. And so we were struggling with, you know, why doesn't our son want to sleep? You know, why can he not, uh, you know, be put down to be put to, you know, be, to be put to bed to even try to sleep? Things like that, which just exhausted us far more than the stories we kind of typically heard with a, with a newborn is, is what started to make us asking questions. When he got a bit older and he started lining things up, we're just like, oh, that's that's cool. And then he... You know, I remember one time he lined up all the blocks that he had from the living room all the way to the kitchen and the kitchen table. Something's interesting here. And there were other things going on. His, his energy level is, is this nuclear energy level. And it was at the time, still basically is. But um, we had a really smart speech pathologist. I shouldn't say smart, but she was a fantastic human being. And she was the one who turned us on to, hey, I think your son's autistic. And we went for our first session in terms of trying to get a diagnosis through a private provider. And uh, we came up with ADHD and my wife were like, my, we were fully expecting autism diagnosis because we saw the signs and we saw everything else. But when that piece happened, we were just like, what is ADHD? And we're exhausted. We're emotionally, physically just wiped. So. We're educating ourselves on this. We didn't not we did not not believe. Sorry for the double negative. That he still was not autistic. It took another five years because that first appointment was uh, at four and a half years old. It took another five years till April of this year to get his autism diagnosis. Part of it was because the pediatrician and the hospital where we were going to for the uh, next assessment they lost the referral. So what normally is like a two year wait list. Turned into five, partly because we really put too much trust in that whole process that everything worked out. But it wasn't until um, I sort of put on my old logistics hat of the stuff that I used to do. And I just had to take control of the process. And that's exactly what I did. So finally, we know he's, he's, he's both. And that's pretty amazing. Um, but that whole journey led to my ADHD diagnosis at 46 when it was a fun two hour conversation with my wife and I of making fun of me. We stopped at like 25 different traits that I had <laughs> comparing wow. me to my son. Yeah, And it just went from there. She got her diagnosis eventually, which was, which speaks to another stat about ADHD and women where women are more likely to be diagnosed with anxiety or depression uh, as opposed to ADHD first. Which is horrible. And I can't remember what the percentage is. I know it's in reference to another article, but yeah, it's it's a high number. That journey is what led me to. I mean, the whole job thing was was it is its own other beast, but to go from long term jobs being laid off and then trying to have you know piecemeal work in between because of the way the economy has been the past couple of years in COVID, and not having a handle on on the ADHD because I didn't realize it. That's been a, uh, its own its own journey in itself. But um, that's what led me into advocacy for advocating for my son and for others. And also, that's what started the podcast as well, because I wanted to get our story out there because we know we're not the only ones.
1: There's enough listeners to this show to comment on how you're not the only ones. There's a few things in there that I want to play with, starting with beginning with an ADHD diagnosis and then moving on to an autism diagnosis, because that's not uncommon. But I also want to tease those two things apart. I've been on Twitter long enough to know there's folks out there who are like, you don't have ADHD, you have autism. And they're comorbid. They're very, very similar. There's a lot of overlap, but they're not the same thing.
0: They're not the same thing. It's funny you mentioned that because when the doctor, we had a good conversation about how it's this horrible Venn diagram, where things get mushed into each other. They're both
1: incredibly well-researched. So we know the distinctions. We know how how they're the same and how they're different. But there is a ton of overlap. And it's important to recognize that if you have an ADHD diagnosis, like there's other stuff to pay attention to. Anxiety, depression, autism, dyslexia can dance in there too, as well as many other things.
0: He's got that one.
1: (laughs) Related to this diagnosis piece is your wife's experience of first getting a diagnosis of, I wasn't sure if it was anxiety
0: or depression. You know what, truthfully, I don't know which one came first. Um, if I'm thinking about it that in, in that sort of order wise, that's sort of over my head now.
1: The thing that I wanna highlight there is women are often misdiagnosed. Bipolar comes up a lot in addition to anxiety and depression. I've worked with a lot of clients who are like, yeah, I had a bipolar diagnosis, but it wasn't accurate and the meds weren't working. And then it turned out to be ADHD. So just to kind of highlight that stuff for folks who are new to the journey or even fairly well along, knowing that they're like the diagnosis stuff, sometimes it takes a little bit of work. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time, five years in the case of your son to go from an ADHD diagnosis to an autism diagnosis. I'm sorry that so much of that was paperwork and not just not quite meeting the criteria yet.
0: I wouldn't blame paperwork on this. I would blame number one ADHD. Number two, I would blame really bad processes. Mm-hmm. And number three, I partly would blame, I think, ignorance. There's probably a few more things I could I could sit there and put on it, but I mean, needless to say, the the our pediatri- it's there the pediatrician still our pediatrician. We we do have a, a really good relationship with her, and and we understand that is you know it's it, it's not. This is something where it's just a typical hospital setting where you're faxing over referrals because, you know, we can take a picture of Pluto, we can take a picture of Saturn, we can get the picture of Saturn's rings and see all these rocks, but we are still relying on fax machine stuff. I'm not going to go into those words that I want to use that you know, go in there. Right. Um, but that, that that kind of sums up my feelings on where things are. So in, in, the, in the talks that I've had with the few government people that I had, I'm like, you guys need to update this really badly, please. For anybody who hasn't done an autism diagnosis, you've got all these forms to fill out. Um, you've got evidence and information that you want to bring. Evidence is probably the wrong word, but all these forms and stuff and examples that you want to bring over. And so when we put our sons together, we're at like a hundred plus pages. That part probably is unusual because it was such a long time span. But we had so many examples of different things, whether it was the dyslexia, whether what we know now is DCD or dyspraxia and, and just the autism traits. We're just going, you know, we're going to put this all together in paper. The binder was one of those ridiculously thick, like whatever, what's the big size, the eight inch. Ring binders, yep. and I, I called up, I called up Sunny Hill, and I'm just like, look, I, I'm, I'm, do, how do you want me to get this to you? Do you want me to scan all this stuff? Do you want me to, like, what do you want me to do? And they're like, oh, fax it. It's a hundred. And I'm just going, <laughs> are you serious? After what just happened? But they were serious. They, they were dead serious. And because it was still COVID, I'm like, look, I'm gonna drive this down there, and I'll leave it on the steps of the damn door. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and that's the point I was at because I I had just had enough, um, but we did end up faxing it and I've got the cover sheet for like ninety five pages of worth of stuff that went to them and it was quite comical. Uh, I remind me I have to make a note because I'll tell you about the story of when we did do the actual assessment because there was something funny that came out of that too.
1: Let me pivot briefly because you mentioned dyspraxia and that's something I talk about in my workshops fairly often but it hasn't come up on the show yet. Can we play there a little bit? can you talk to us a little bit about your son's dyspraxia? Because dyspraxia is comorbid with ADHD. It's another thing that can come along with it.
0: We didn't know what that was until we went through an ADHD clinic, um, funny enough, again, at BC Children's. And um, years ago, when Owen was five-ish, I, get, I think, we didn't understand what the clumsiness was about. There was a parkour place And uh, we took him there and he absolutely loved it. Kids that were his age, that were five or six or whatever, they were able to do things that he had to take another 20 tries to do, Mm -hmm. but he never gave up, which is what made me just love my son even more. He would try and climb a rope or try and swing on the rings or the lache bar or whatever. He couldn't do it. He would fall down and he would just cry and whatever regulation he had was out the window, right? It's the, 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 the idea of your lid flipping. Yeah, that that happened more than enough, but it was a safe space for him to do that. He got to be really good at doing the parkour and the ninja stuff. And by the ninja stuff, I mean things like American Ninja Warrior. It's a, it's a real, real thing. And it's really cool. And so when we went through the the clinic, like we knew he was struggling with handwriting. We knew that part. We weren't thinking about dyslexia yet, but that came into our radar uh, just shortly after that. When he went through the clinic and the OT was looking at him doing all the tests and stuff, you know, I saw him struggling with trying to pick up a pin and put it in a peg of a hole, uh, the hole, like a, a peg. Um And wrapping string around these little peg things. And you're just going, oh, you are really struggling with this. And it's taking him a very long time to complete it. When she told us, we're just like, again, what the hell is dyspraxia? What is DCD? That begun yet another piece of education on on what it is. But again, it's it's those having that lack of control over the fine motor skills. And um, another way it showed up that I wasn't expecting is when i was teaching him how to swim and he was doing his own swim lessons i he can swim and for a kid who's 9 years old he's he's fairly um i do want to say that he's a strong swimmer but he, because of the weak core that he has he really has a hard time very hard time keeping his body essentially straight. So if you were to try to do side glides or, or some sort of swimming drill, he really can't keep his body straight enough to do those things as I basically would as someone who was a competitive swimmer. So you're noticing differences like that, those kind of weaknesses, and that's when you start to realize, oh, now you can see it. And it's a lot easier to see now, not only in, in my kid, but in other kids when I'm working with them. So that was its own uh, interesting journey uh, to sit there and figure out. Let's
1: pivot over to your advocacy work. You're part of the ADHD Advocacy Society for British Columbia. Can you talk a little bit about what that work is, what it is that you're doing? Who are you advocating to? Those sorts of things.
0: We're advocating to government, essentially. And I'll split the advocacy side into two things there's the work through the society and we've only been in existence for about a year and a bit there's also the stuff that i've done on my own and that is what led me through to joining the the society on the society side of things we're basically looking to have changes for adhders that we can get help in schools accessibility options recognized and and not have to fight so hard for these things because a kid that That is having trouble focusing, you know, why can't that child be offered headphones or something like that just to block out what is going on around them to give them that chance to to help quiet their mind a bit advocacy side with the society, it is talking to government, it is we do, we're very fortunate to have a seat at the table. Thanks to some pretty amazing people that we've been in contact with, and um, you know, we want to see changes in schools. We want to see changes in, in the workplace because, again, so many people that are that are that are addicts. Um, you know, you start off with ADHD. You don't necessarily start off as an addict. There are times when addiction is addiction is something you're born with, but it's more. You're, you know, you've got that ADHD genetic hereditary component piece, and then you're into addiction because you're, you're possibly, you're probably untreated.
1: I've done some addiction work in the past. I've been on like committees and stuff. And I always saw myself as a protective factor. A lot of the people on those committees were, you know, people who treat addiction, counselors, therapists, that kind of stuff. And I was like, I'm a protective factor. I'm the guy you want to talk to before the addiction is becoming a problem let's get the ADHD under control. So you're not trying to self-medicate with whatever the substance is that you're trying to self-medicate with.
0: And, and even on the addiction side, I look at my, like even my relationship with food and exercise exercise for that matter too. I, I never went down. I never went down the addiction route. My, my issue was more was more the food side of things and having a, a grandparents that escaped the Nazis in world war two, um, and uh, you know, the choices that they made are half the reason I'm here. My thing was hearing my my grandma or Oma tell me, you know, finish that plate of food because uh, people would kill for that. Not realizing that that is trauma speaking as opposed to her speaking. But as a kid who is undiagnosed ADHD and you've got all these little ping pong ball thoughts going on in your brain, it's like, you it creates a warped sense of of what it is. So that kind of began the the body image um, self talk. Uh, I don't know. I, I'd say wall of awful, but it's it's more than that.
1: You're not using that term incorrectly. A little off topic, if I can take a small detour. This is the thing I've been talking about in the parent groups a lot recently. A lot of the stuff that we stress about as parents, a lot of the things that we correct our kids on really boils down to generational trauma around resources. So clear your plate because there's people who would kill for that. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, whatever, I was the person who would have killed for that. Or I heard that from my grandparents who heard it from their grandparents who heard it from their grandparents. The same line can be connected with like the kid comes home with dirty pants and there was a time when those were the only pants you had. Now they're not because now we have the money to have another pair of pants. Yep. But there was a time when that was also a concern, right? A lot of stuff comes down to resources.
0: That's why you posted that on Twitter the other day.
1: Yeah, that's what that was about.
0: I saw that and I took it way too literal. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's it's a it's a much more big, big thinking thing for me. Um and I, I apologize for sort of diverting.
0: No, don't, don't, don't. Um, because it's 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 funny how that works.
1: How have you found the government of British Columbia to be responding? To your advocacy work? Are they open to it? Are they resistant? Does it depend on who you're talking to?
0: Number one, it depends on who you're talking to. And I think that goes within any organization. You've got your supporters in there and you've got your people who sort of just kind of poo-poo it. Um, we haven't come across many of the poo-pooers yet. The The people that we've all talked to, they've been generally supportive and they're looking for the easy solutions. It is looking at what can we get in there with simple solutions That are going to help a lot of kids may not necessarily cost a lot of money yet. But um, quite honestly, the things that do may seem it costs a lot of money don't really cost a lot of money in the long run. It's the solutions that are the solutions that you want that we want to propose, I think, are something where there's a maybe a bit of a bigger upfront cost, but at the same time, when you look at the long-term effects, it's pales in comparison to what you'd be saving whether that's offering different medications or streamlining the process to actually even get medications because trying to find a doctor up here is, is really hard. You know, how do you switch those things and how do you work through what those are? And that's partly why I'm such a big believer in the process of things and even finding the you know process improvement with uh, the methodologies that are out there. It's a big help in trying to break those things down. Th- that's maybe like a little bit on the insight side of things. There are supporters in there who are amazing. And I'm thinking of one person right now who I can't name, but uh, she has opened up some amazing doors. And um, the rest of it has been us just being very passionate about our lives and being open with it. I think you have to be willing to be vulnerable when you're showing these things. It's pretty important because these are people's lives that could be very well changed. Part of me wishes I had known this all my life, The other part of me just sits there and says, no, you know what? I'm okay with where I am.
1: And just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience?
0: If you are stuck and you don't know what to do, whatever you can do, go down that path. This has been the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life, aside from having kids and the impact I've made. It is a result of following those passions, and don't apologize for it. You are uniquely you. You have strengths, characteristics, and traits that will make you unstoppable.
1: Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan.com.